0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message.
1: Praise God, Amen. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Love that y'all are here. Um, I love that you're here. I love that uh, this um, this is about making lifting Jesus high. This is about Jesus, man. Like what Robert said in the beginning, uh, we we hope you feel so welcome here. We really do. No matter where you're at um, spiritually and emotionally, and just kind of what is weighing on you, uh, we really do hope that you feel welcome because we believe. Um, that, man, where the gospel is, where the good news of Christ is, man, there should be a freedom, uh, and there should be a a worship that doesn't come from your track record and a peace that doesn't come from the turmoil of the circumstances of your life, but it comes from a God um, who's bigger than the circumstances of our life and bigger than our mistakes. And so, man, we really hope that that is uh, a place you're able to get to tonight and that it is just sweet and all about Jesus. We're in this series called Church People Uh, because uh, we feel like it is necessary um, to look honestly at ourselves. Uh, A lot of us in this room are churchy people, church people. Uh, We claim the name of Christ. Uh, We also recognize there are people in this room who are not, and we love that you're here. And I I especially love this series. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I'm not a church person, uh, you get to see behind the curtain, because a lot of what tonight is about is talking to church people, about, man, what it really looks like to represent our Savior. Uh, but I love that you're here because you get to see, okay, how, how is this really supposed to look? Uh, so often, uh, so many people around us do not choose to follow Christ because of the followers of Christ, not because of Christ. Uh, And and that skews their perspective of who Jesus is. And so uh, tonight I'm going to pick on Christians. Uh, So sorry about that if you're a Christian. I am. I happen coincidentally to also be a Christian. Uh, I am one. Uh, But I think uh, it's really healthy to be honest, right? I think it's really healthy to be honest, to have honest conversations with who we are and how we come across and and what we do and to be able to receive honest feedback. Uh, And so that's where we're going. We we need that in our life in all kinds of areas. Let me give you an example of where you might need that. If you think the show Two and a Half Men is a great show, I love you enough to tell you, you are wrong. (laughs) You are absolutely wrong. I actually, we were having lunch as a staff this was like maybe a few months ago. And I just made the comment, like, there's nobody, like two and a half men for the longest time, I realized it's, it's no longer, they're no longer making new episodes. But for the longest time, it was like the highest rated comedy until, and I always saw that. And I was like, how is it? Who watches this show? I just, I, I've watched a few episodes and it's just so painfully un- unfunny. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I said to my staff, I was like, dude, I have never met anyone. And like two people on my staff were like, I, I love that show. <clears throat> They are no longer on my staff, just so you know. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I demoted them, but they're still on staff. Uh, right, two and a half men, right? That, that is something that I would hope somebody would love me enough and just sit me down and be like, hey, that's not, it's just not funny, right? Kombucha is another thing, right? Am I right? Kombucha tastes, guys, kombucha tastes awful. I've tasted it before. And I recognize clearly this is a polarizing issue. If you like kombucha, I'm proud of you. It's funny because I don't judge people who like IPAs. Like, people who like IPAs, I'm like, oh, dude, that guy's cool. He's got a refined palate. But people, but people who like kombucha, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Um, what is wrong with you? It tastes awful. And don't tell me it's an acquired taste. Like, that's not a real argument. Like, anything could fit under that category. Like, if you do anything horrible long enough, you could just eventually call it an acquired taste. Uh, the other... The other and third, my third, just quick example, just to explain how important community is to honestly give each other feedback so we don't look ridiculous drinking kombucha, watching Two and a Half Men. <clears throat> the other thing is, and this is just something that in my prayer and study in preparation for this sermon, it was the one that popped up. The word, guys, is anyway, not anyways. There is. It's okay, I love you. A lot of, a lot of teachers in the room are like, yes, yes. Um, And everyone else is like, what? The word, and I love you enough to tell you this, the word, there is not a word anyways, you know, and you use it like as a whole, you use it like you leave it out there hanging by itself in a sentence. You say, you're just talking anyways, and you put a pause, which just makes it more obvious that you don't know the word like it doesn't have an S. Like maybe if you kind of ran it into a synonym, but whenever somebody says the word anyways, it's just by itself and it's so, it's just naked in front of you and everyone knows. There's anyways, it's, there's no S, guys. I love you. Uh, so it's these kind of important issues that we talk about. Uh, it, honestly, man, I, I say that those are, well, Anyways, is objectively right or wrong. But kombucha and what you watch on TV, those kind of things, man, there's subjectivity to what is funny and what is tasty. That, those are subjective things. I get that. Those are subjective things. Christianity is not. Christianity, this idea of church people, that we are Christians, it is not a subjective thing. We, if you are a Christian, and if you identify yourself as a Christian, then you are representing Christ. You're saying, would my life represent Christ? I am going to be a follower of Christ. Therefore, we objectively look at who Christ is, what he taught, what he taught his believers to believe, how he taught his believers to live and act, and what is true because we represent him. So, so we can laugh about kombucha and saying words funny, but when it comes to how we represent Christ, we have to say, honestly, let's look at ourselves. Let's give ourselves honest feedback to say, man, do we represent him correctly to the world around us, to each other? Are we functioning as church people in a way that is true? We represent him and all the time. Let me give you an example of, a, of, a, of an objectively wrong sentence. If somebody were to say, I am a racist Christian, right? If somebody were to say that they might be saved, but that sentence doesn't make sense. Right? Somebody can live in sin and still, if they are repentant and if their faith is in Christ, they can, but to say I'm a racist Christian doesn't make sense because to follow Christ and to obey Christ is inherently not racist right? because of who he is and because of his commands and because of what he says about all people and all races and how he values. So we have to look honestly at ourselves and say, okay, how can we do this? How can we do this? How, what, how might we live in order to represent Christ well? That's kind of where we've been. So tonight, we're going to look at how Jesus engaged with culture. Um, last week, we talked about how Jesus was compassionate. The week before that, we talked about how, how Christ and how Christianity is called to be free and not repressed. Um, tonight is about, man, how we engage with culture. Um, how do we step into the culture in which we live in an appropriate way? So we're going to align ourselves um, with, with that, with how does Christ do that? How does he teach us to do that? Um, and here comes the honest thing I was telling about picking on Christians. and I really don't mean offense for the sake of offense, um, but honestly, Christians aren't historically great at this. We're not historically as church people really great with balancing how to engage our culture well in a way that brings God glory, but also in a way that connects with the culture around us. Uh, let me illustrate the, the Southern Baptist Convention, right? The Southern Baptist Convention began in 1845 and it began because uh, there were slaveholders who wanted to become missionaries. And the Baptist Convention at the time over all of North America said, you can't do that. You can't go be a missionary and proclaim the gospel and also be a slaveholder in 1845. Like we're just not going to allow and commission Slaveholding missionaries out into the world. That's not going to work. And the Southern Baptist Convention was formed out of that divide to say, we want to have slave-holding missionaries. It is a dark period of time in the Southern Baptist history, right? Kind of the origins of it coming from this very non-Christ-like perspective that they said, well, man, we want slaves, but also we also want to be Baptists and proclaim. And so it was this disconnect. And so it, it's this part of our history in Southern Baptist history where they they didn't engage. Not only did they not engage, they pushed against. They pushed against what God was calling. They pushed against the social reform that was happening in a good way. And there the church was obstinate against it, holding out so that you might have missionary slaveholders. Now, for the sake of Southern Baptists, I love Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists now are one of the most ethnically diverse uh, denominations in the entire country. It is incredible. I think the leadership of the Southern Baptists are amazing right now. Uh, it, it It is in a really, really healthy place. But honestly, when we look at the origins of it, we're like, man, that's really tough. They also had some leadership who looked at those origins, were honest about it, said, that's not okay and repented and made changes, which is why I think they're, they're an incredibly healthy denomination. And we root for them and we are proud of the way they profess uh, the gospel. Uh, another category, and this one uh, might be pretty, pretty obvious to you, it's the Amish. Right? The Amish was a group in 1693 of people in Switzerland who loved the Lord and were believers. And they said, hey, this cultural thing this cultural thing, we don't want to get swept up in it. Not just were they pushing against the culture. They said, we're going to completely altogether remove ourselves from the culture. And, and so then eventually they ended up in America and the Amish are the Amish, man. I love them, but they're never going to hear this podcast. So they're never going to get offended, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, right? <clears throat> um, they, they have withdrawn completely from culture. Right, They've withdrawn completely from culture and said, culture is evil. Everything about culture is evil. Electricity, technology, everything. We are going to live in functional 1600s as as far as civilization goes because we're gonna protect our community and our people uh, and our church people from the evils of culture. Um, The other thing too, Christians, we love to boycott things, don't we? I mean, we love it. Like, it is a blast. I tried to Google the amount of things... Uh, the amount of things that like Christians boycott, like the things you can't uh, do. And and I recognize like this is not everybody, but there's certain Christian groups uh, that boycott these things. So Starbucks, Nike, Disney, Target, right? So like me buying a a Pixar toy for my son at Target while I'm drinking Starbucks is like, oh my gosh, I lost my faith. In my Nikes, I should add, in my Nike jumpsuit. Oh, this was one too that I didn't really realize because I wasn't alive at the time, but the Beatles. Like, there was a big push in Christianity to boycott the Beatles because one day a long time ago, John Lennon said that the Beatles are more famous than Jesus. And Christians were like, what? And they were furious. Like he didn't say Beatles were better. He didn't say the Beatles are like more holy. He just said they were more famous than Jesus. And Christians, they, like I read all these articles, they like had big, like record burning parties and like burning Beatles posters and like outside of churches, they're like tearing up, like the Beatles, the greatest rock band ever. And you got Christians saying, how dare you say you're popular? <clears throat> we do that, right? We love to boycott. We love to boycott. Um, evangelical Christianity um, has created its own subculture so often. And man, I fall into this. I work in a church. Before I worked in a church, I worked, I don't even want to get into it, but I worked in a ministry that literally would go around and, and perform and, and run camps in like this really sub-bubble of Christianity all throughout uh, the country. We create these subcultures, right? We create our own category of movies, right? We create our own category of music. We even have our own musical, the Dove Awards, right? Because like, we're not going to win any Grammys. So it's like, let's make up our own (laughs) Christian ones, right? And I I actually have a cousin who's in a Christian band and they've won Dove Awards. So I'm not knocking them. It's just, you know, goofy. Okay. You get the point, right? You get the point. This is not lost on you. I recognize that. You get the point. We, as Christians, this idea of how do we engage the culture well, honestly, let's let's stop and be honest. We do not always do this well. Historically, we do not do this well. Man, it, even it's easy to kind of tease the bigger church or the historic church, but even if I look at my own life, man, if I'm really honest, there are ways where I know I just don't do this well. We don't engage our culture well, um, and we need to. And, and here's one thing I want to say, just as a, as a caveat for this whole sermon. Um, there are convictions, and there are protections in your life, and there are boundaries that you uh, and other believers and denominations have, seen, have deemed as wise and as godly. And so I wanna be really careful that as I go through this and as I hopefully push us towards engaging the culture the way Christ engages the culture, that we also realize that maybe it's not a one size fits all, right? That we should all be taking steps towards engagement of the culture, but also realizing that that we're in different places in this room. We're in different places, we have different struggles, we have different things that are gonna be triggers for us. And so what I'm not doing pastorally is telling everyone they've gotta be here and they've gotta look this way and they've gotta engage this way. I think for the believers in this room, there should be a huge amount of discernment. Uh, I, Danielle and I, my wife and I, we just sent our uh, oldest son to kindergarten for the first year ever. This is his, he might go there multiple times, I guess is what that implies. Um, We sent him to kindergarten. uh, And so it's a big step for us. And we sent him to a Christian school, right? And so even this idea of like, man, we need to engage the culture. Both my wife and I were both public schooled, And yet we sent our son to a sub-school that is protected from the public school environment. And so that for us was a personal conviction. I mean, for us personally, we were in this place where we want radically our boys to love the culture, know the culture, engage the culture. We want them to be salt and light. For us, our personal conviction in this season, knowing specifically my boys' temperament, uh, was, man, I don't think he's salty yet. Like, I just don't think he's salty as a six year old yet. And I want to partner with other people to help disciple him in this age, at this age, at this development stage, to help get him salty so that he can engage the culture. Uh, but that was our personal conviction. And I got so much respect for people who say, man, we're ready, we're, we're creating the saltiness in our home and we're sending him in the public school system. or people who say, we're gonna homeschool because of discernment issues that they have to say, man, we as a, as a parent unit are good. My, my wife and I would stink at homeschool. Like our kids would be awful. All I do is watch two and a half minutes. That's all I do at home. Um, No, right? So that would just be, that's, we're just not, honestly, we're not smart enough. Like my wife is, but like she can't handle both our boys and then she's got to raise me and it would be a mess. So, uh, so for us, man, that was it. So I just, I want you to know, like, I want to leave some freedom in this talk um, to allow you to also use some discernment and to not everyone feel like they've just got to get forced out on the plank of culture, if maybe they're not ready for it. Um, scripture talks about kind of a weaker brother, that, man, maybe, maybe you don't eat meat that's sacrificed in front of idols, in front of people. And what that's talking about, that kind of weird story, is this idea that, man, there were religious people, Christ, followers of Christ, who were eating meat that they got from the marketplace where all this idol worship was going. And these other followers of Christ were like, dude, that meat is tainted, right? Like you bought the meat, that's like for idol worship. You, as a follower of Christ, shouldn't be eating that meat. And what scripture says is like, hey, if it's gonna cause them to stumble, like if they're gonna really get hung up over that meat, just don't eat the meat. Just don't eat the meat. And so there's this level of discernment in this of how we walk in our culture. But definitely, I hope we do leave here challenged. Uh, and I hope we look at Jesus in a way that challenges us to say, okay, we need to step into some of these areas. So let's do that, okay? Let's do that. I'm gonna show us, by the grace of God, hopefully he's gonna show up here through his word, because that's what he does, and show us that Jesus, he absolutely engages with his culture in a radical and at times offensive way, so that he might reach people. Jesus does this really, really well. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna show you in scripture. We're gonna be kind of all over the place. I'm gonna give you a lot of verses. I'm gonna show you some stories of Christ, how he engages, and then we're gonna talk about, okay, he does these things well. Now, what do we need to do in response? So that's where we are. Mark is where we're starting. And we'll put this up on the screen, uh, but Mark in the New Testament. Chapter two, I think we're actually gonna start in verse 13. So this is what, uh, this is what Mark says. Talking about Jesus. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he, let me stop right there just for a second. So, What's happening is he sees Levi, a tax collector. A tax collector was bad news to the religious culture at the time. A tax collector were sold out traders who were Jews, but they were working for the Roman government, collecting taxes from other Jews to then give those taxes to the government that was oppressing the Jewish people. And so to be a tax collector in the culture, in the Jewish culture, and specifically in the, in the religious Jewish culture, man, to be a tax collector was a bad word, man. And yet Jesus walks by and says, hey, you're a tax collector. Come and follow me. And Levi does. Levi is the guy who ends up writing the book of Matthew. The gospel of Matthew is, is Levi. <clears throat> so then look what happens. What happens? Verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So stop right here. So here's the scene, right? He is called the tax collector to follow him and then right here we see that Jesus Christ, right? Our example, our model, the holy one, God incarnate, right? God with flesh on is reclining at the table in his house with tax collectors and sinners around and the religious culture around him. The religious church people around him are saying, "What in the world, man? What is he doing?" It was controversial. Jesus, throughout Scripture, spends time with those outside of the religious culture. He gets outside of the church bubble. right? He, he goes out the walls of the church and is spending time, and not just evangelism trips. He's spending, he's reclining at the table with people to where they, they start telling a man, what are you doing with these people? Levi, just it. He calls a, a, a tax collector to follow him. There's a story in John 4. I'm just going to give you a whole bunch of shotgun stories. There's a story in John 4 with the woman at the well who was a sinner. And Jesus was at the well at the middle of the day, which is when sinners come to the well, right? Which is when people who are ashamed and embarrassed come to get water because it's not the best time of day to come. And they don't want to be seen in public because the well was kind of the community spot. And so and Jesus put himself in the place where he knew, man, this is the people who are going to show up who have sinned so bad that they're ashamed to be seen in public. So they come and get water when it's really, really inconvenient, man. Jesus and Zacchaeus in in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus was this tax collector. And there's this whole story where Jesus spends his time at his house and everyone's like, what are you doing? Zacchaeus is the worst. Jesus is called in Matthew 11, a glutton and a sinner, right? He he does these miracles by putting his hands on sick and sinful, dirty people, which would have been so countercultural to the religious culture of the day he stepped outside of those walls and he spent time with those outside of his religious culture. Jesus was the Messiah, right? He had the religious following of the day and yet he modeled for us what it looked like to spend time, I mean, over and over and over again in the New Testament. We could just go down story after story of his engagement and the amount of quality time he spent with those outside the religious walls of Judaism at the time. Obviously, he's judged for it, right? But but also I want you to see something else. Not only did he spend time, but look how he spoke their language. Right? He learned the he knew the language of those who are outside of this religious bubble uh, that the rest of that Jewish culture was in. Look at this. In Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. So back up here. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So he comes home in his house, packed full of people, can't even get in the door. There's so many people. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, Oh, excuse me, verse three. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse six. Now, some of the scribes, right? These religious people there, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? Like, why is he using those words? Well, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? And then look, he said, what's easier for me to say? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know... That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, he, he changes how he says this authoritative statement. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, this is a miracle that some of you guys have read about or heard about, but I I love looking at, man, the way that Jesus uses his language, the way that he engages with the people who are not the religious leaders, right? the the way that he engages with this paralytic man who is desperate for Christ, and then the way he speaks, and then the way he chooses his words so thoughtfully and carefully to engage with those around us, but then also to rebuke these scribes who are like, man, you can't say that, you shouldn't say it this way. Even the stories Jesus tells, right like even the stories like to, to, to understand that Jesus spoke the language of his culture is to even see the stories to see parables about agriculture and John 15 the vine because he's in a vineyard and um, seeing the Good Samaritan story. when we think good Samaritan, we think good person, right like Because the Bible has influenced our Western thinking, the word Good Samaritan, whether you believe the Bible or read the Bible or not, most people just in the Western context know Good Samaritan means good person. Uh, But in this context, it didn't, right? He knew his geography. He knew that that word would incite in people, oh man, a Samaritan is bad news. Samaritans were the enemies, right? Samaritans were the arch enemies of the Jewish people. And so to use a Samaritan as the example of the good person who actually helps out this man who's beaten on a road and attacked and robbed, and and these religious people step over him and keep passing by and keep passing by and keep passing by, if you remember the story, and the Samaritan is the one that comes and helps. He knows the language of a the He knows the context of his culture, too. I want you guys to hear that and see that. I, I want you guys to see that, man, he spends time with those outside the religious walls. He speaks their language and he knows the context of their culture. I'm not gonna read this, this whole story, um, but some of you might have heard this uh, story where it's in Matthew 22, uh, where Pharisees, they, they're gonna try to trap Jesus. And like, man, we're gonna get him. And so they, they bring a coin, right? A denarius, a coin that was like the Roman government issued money. And they say, hey, should we pay taxes? right? Should we pay taxes? You know, you're right, you're Jesus, you're the Messiah, you got, you got everything, and they're kind of trying to trap him. Should we pay taxes or not, you know, because we know this government is wrong, and this government has not uh, proclaimed the truth, and so, man, should we buck the system and not pay taxes? And Jesus answers, man, look who's on the coin. Who's on the coin? Well, it's Caesar, and he says, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. And when they heard this, they marveled, and, they, and it says they left him and went away. And one of the really cool things about that is Jesus knew the context he was talking to, right? Jesus understood the historical context. He he knew what was going on. He knew that he was trying to be trapped. He knew that to just say, I think think we should pay taxes because I don't want to get in trouble with the Roman government. He knew that that would get him in trouble with the zealots. So here's what happened. 60 years before Jesus, there was a revolt. There was this massive Jewish revolt the Romans had come in, they kind of set up shop and the Jews are like, we're not having it. These Romans are pushing us around. And so there was this massive Jewish revolt. They kicked Rome out for just a little bit. Rome came back really strong, massacred everyone in this revolt. And so 60 years later, and Jesus had that context in mind. The, the proclamation that they were, Saying in that revolt was we are not paying taxes. I mean, that was their motto, right? We are not gonna, we are not gonna bend the knee to Caesar, we're not gonna pay taxes. And so here you've got all these people who are hardcore. We want political freedom from Rome. We want you to tell us we can't. We want you to push back the political system of Rome and overcome that political power. We want you to proclaim no taxes, don't pay taxes. And he knew that. He knew his context well enough to say, okay, we're we're not walking down that road. I'm not here right now for political upheaval. Pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's. So he knows his context. He knows his culture. He knows his history. Jesus was incredibly savvy. He was incredibly savvy. And the following he had, people who, who were religious, people who were not. Man, he spent time in synagogues. He spent time with religious leaders as well but he was savvy and could speak both languages. He could speak the language of the religious culture and preach and, and, and teach from Isaiah and the Old Testament, uh, and then he could be with the people and know and love them well. He loved people. He loved people, and he was judged for it. He was judged bad for it. Remember Mark, right? Let's throw that Mark verse back up. Mark 2, uh, when, he, when he's confronted, because he's hanging out with all these people sinners and tax collectors, and and they're like, man, what are you doing? Why are you with all of these sinners, and why are you with all these tax collectors? I don't understand. Verse 17, let's finish that story. When Jesus heard it, right, he heard their accusations. Man, look, you just, you're hanging out with these sinners. He heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but Sinners. He knew the people of his culture. He spent time with them. He learned their language. He knew their context. He knew and he loved the people of his culture. He loved them. This is who who I should be hanging out with. The people who are sick. Not the self-righteous. The people who are sick. The people who are humble. The people who know that they are missing something and need something. He loved them well enough to not only speak their language, to not only spend time with them, but he loved them enough to be... Healing for them. Notice something else. I want this to lead into two cautions. And then I just want to talk application for us. What do we do with this leaving here? I want to talk two cautions because we see here something happens, right? He doesn't dismiss their sin, right? They're like, man, why do you hang out with sinners? Man, what's wrong with you? You just hang out with sinners and tax collectors and all of the enemy. And he says, man, I love them. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to spend time with those who are sick. I came to call, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he is loving them. He is putting himself with them, but he's also not dismissing their sin. He's not saying, well, yeah, I'm going to hang out with them. They're not sinners. They're not, there's nothing wrong with them. He doesn't say that they're righteous yet. He meets them where they're at, loves them well. But he also doesn't dismiss their sin. And one of the cautions for us is that cultural engagement doesn't mean cultural approval. And I think, I think sometimes that scares us. I think it scares us sometimes to think, well, man, if I engage with the culture around me, man, if I spend a lot of time in a part of this culture that just looks so contrary to what we believe truth is and what righteousness should look like and what the way we're supposed to live. Like if we, if we live that way and we're supposed to live this way, well then, man, if I'm hanging out here with these people that look so different, man, doesn't that just feel like I'm like giving them a stamp of approval? And Jesus walks that balance really, really well. He loves them. He spends time with them. But cultural engagement doesn't mean cultural approval. It doesn't mean that. Might it mean other church people look at you sideways Yep. It might. When that happens, you gotta pick. You gotta pick. Who are you more afraid to please? People who are gonna look sideways because they don't understand what you're doing? Or do we fear the Lord enough to say, man, I want to love people the way you've called to? Not dismiss their sin, but meet them where they're at. Be culturally relevant. Step into pockets of our culture, man, where where it's sick and where there needs to be light, and where there needs to be salt. In a humble way, because we were sick. And without Christ, we are completely sick. And on our best day, my best works are described in the New Testament as filthy rags. Even in my best day as a believer. So we humbly step into those. Paul gets called out in Galatians, uh, because he kind of tries to walk this line. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Paul calls out Peter in Galatians. Uh, the Apostle Peter is hanging out with, you know, the religious, you know, people one day, and then when they're gone, he's kind of over here hanging out with the non-religious. But then when the religious people come back, Peter's like, "Oh man, I shouldn't be hanging out with these guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be over here. Yeah, I don't know, oh, those guys are weird, man. I know they're they're pretty immature." And yet, and Paul, the Apostle Paul in Galatians calls him out and says, "What are you doing? What are you doing? All well, the religious people are looking at me sideways. What are you doing? Who are you representing?" Cultural engagement doesn't mean cultural approval. We are called to be holy. 1 Peter 1.16, we talked about it last week, man. We're called to be holy as Christ is holy. But to engage our culture doesn't mean we're compromising holiness. Engagement of culture doesn't mean stepping into sin in our own lives. It means loving people where they're at. Second caution too, and then and then we'll just talk, man. Where do we go from from here in application? But I just want one more caution: is cultural engagement also doesn't mean isolation from those who are like minded? Um, and, and here's what I mean by that: cultural engagement. And this was me, honestly, when I was like twenty. Well, when I graduated high school, I moved to Russia. <laughs> uh, I moved to Moscow, Russia, when I was eighteen. And M, I did missions there and I hung out with kids outside of Metro Stop and played basketball. Uh, and, and it was like kind of this cool mission experience. I'm going to let you kind of behind the curtain for those guys who don't know. It was really driven by honestly a lot of like my own kind of self-righteousness because I wanted to be this really radical Christian. Man, I was 18, I was like, man, I just want to go do something radical. And I wanna go overseas and like live there. And and I, I wanna see Christ proclaimed, but there was a driving force in me that was my pride of, man, everyone else is back home. And man, I'm over here having this really, really rad adventure just being radical for Christ. And man, God uses that. But in, in my like 18, 19, 20-year-old self, and honestly, on through, there's this part of me that's like, man, I want to engage culture. And we hear this and we think, yeah, man, we need to engage culture. And what can happen so quickly is we can just say, forget the church. Man, forget having community of believers. Forget walking in community with other believers trying to be holy. Man, forget that. I'm going to go be radical and I'm just gonna, I'm going to isolate myself from other people who believe what I believe is true because maybe their posture isn't as cool and radical as mine. And we have to identify that there is a, there's a pride in there that can be super dangerous. And there could be a posture there that could be super dangerous. And I, I honestly, I think it comes from a really well-motivated, I think those people are going to change the world. I think they're incredibly gifted. I know a lot of guys and girls like that who are just like, man, and, they're, and they, it's so easy to just get so discontent with church people. And I think partly it's because sometimes church people, we're slow to change. We're slow to mature the way we should. We're slow to wrap our arms around the culture the way we should. But if those radical leaders keep leaving and isolating themselves, they won't change the culture of the church that needs to be changed. I mean, the Holy Spirit's gonna do what he's gonna do. But we need those leaders. We need you leaders who hear this and you're like, yes, 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 I'm more mad at the church than I am the law. I feel way more comfortable over here. I don't even have that, man. I'm so, I'm so doing what Jesus did that I don't have. Jesus had Christian community, man. He was in a constant small group of other guys that were like, yes, man, Jesus, you're the man. You're the man, Jesus. Yes, we follow you, right? He was constantly surrounded by, he taught at synagogues. He went from synagogue to synagogue. He was around. He had dinner and ate meals and fellowship with the religious leaders as well, and not just to rebuke them, um, we've got to be cautious that cultural engagement doesn't just mean isolation in the name of being radical for Christ. So, um, where do we go? Um, Jesus engaged the culture around him. He spoke their language. He knew their context. He loved them well, and he did it without compromising holiness. He did it without isolating. What do we do with this? A couple of things. One, if you're a believer. my hope is we would do likewise. And, and I'm gonna get back to what that looks like in just a second. I'm gonna get back to you. But if you're a believer, the hope is here in a second, let's do likewise. What's that look like? But let me say real quick, if you are not a believer in this room, I mean, if you're here and you're not in Christ, um, then a couple things. Um, one, I love that you're here. Uh, I love that you're here. Um, but my hope is that you leave tonight with more respect for Jesus right, that you leave tonight with more respect for Jesus. Uh, If you have been burned by the church, by church people, if you've been burned by church people, don't put that on Jesus. Put that on us. That's on us, man. We drop the ball. I drop the ball all the time. But our hope is that you would leave and say, okay, maybe I can start to separate what this looks like. Maybe I can start to separate who Jesus is from maybe some of the misrepresentations I've seen in the way that that people who are followers have engaged poorly in my life or in culture. That's on me, that's on us. I don't like that, but that is a reality. Honestly, I love you. I am sorry for that. I really am. But at the same time, stop being a victim. Jesus is here and he says, I want to get to know you. And you could continue to take people and the stories and the valid, just messed up things that people have done, and you could say, Man, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because of these people, but stop using those people to not know Jesus. He is here, He wants to know you, He wants to radically transform your life. I hate that people misrepresent Him. I hate that I misrepresent Him. Hypocrisy, yep, we're guilty. It's not a good thing. We're working on it. We're working on it slowly, but we're working on it. But step into knowing Christ. And and also, man, please, if you're gonna survive in your faith, you're gonna have to show some grace to believers like me who just blow it every once in a while. And don't let that define Christ for you, okay? Okay. I, I love you. I hope you hear me. If you wanna talk afterward, you can call me. My number's 214-458-4404. All right. A lot of fours in there. Okay. Last thing, Christians, right? Back to you guys. What do we, what do, we do? You're a Christian in this room. Awesome. Jesus got it nailed down. Let me give you just three things. Should be easy because we just spent the whole time talking about how well Jesus did it. Be informed and know our context. Jesus did it really, really well. Let's be informed. Let's be believers who are informed and we know our context context around us. We know our history. Let's have a posture to learn. I'm about to offend some people, and so I apologize for that, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was blown away by the amount of white evangelical men who, whenever the Black Lives Movement was at its peak, their first reaction was no. (laughs) Like, I love you, but as a follower of Christ, as as a white man... And, and, a, and a black man raises his hand and says, hey, man, we're feeling this. We, are, we have this. There is a part of our, there's a part of history. There's some uh, oppression happening. And our first response is defensive and not, man, let me learn. Let me lean in. Let me understand better because that's not my context. And I didn't grow up as a black man. So let me understand. We've got to do better at that. I love love it. It's not a political thing. It's a Christian thing. Let's know our context. Let's have a posture to learn our context better and better. Man, learn about sports so that you can be savvier. If you hate sports, learn about music. If you hate music, learn about movies. If you hate movies, learn about math. If you hate math, learn about coffee. If you hate coffee, learn about beer, right? Like learn, get, get a hobby, learn. Watch two and a half men if you think that that 's a way to engage in the culture around you so that you can speak the language right like learn the culture, know the culture The um, second thing is speak the language, man just to go into that and but um, I mean, we've we 've got to be able to speak the language we 've got to not be able to just talk in christianese um, and, and engage our culture um, it, it's funny you know, I, my hairstylist at supercuts Cindy <laughs> she uh, you know and Josh and I were talking about this too like. This idea that like oh you're so normal like oh you're a pastor. Josh was talking about like this conversation he had with, with an Uber driver, and they just having this awesome conversation. And Josh is engaging, and I'm talking with my haircut lady, and you're hanging out with people. And then it's like oh you're oh like you're like a real Christian, like you're like paid to be a Christian. But that's weird. You're so normal. <laughs> Something's wrong with the default when people are like oh that's weird. I liked you. I like you're a real devout follower of Christ. This is, this is so, this shifts my paradigm. Like something's wrong if the default setting of the world around us is because of the way we talk, because of the way we hold ourselves, um, let's learn their language. And last thing, man, let's spend time in the culture. Let's be engaged, man. I love that man, we gather on Sunday mornings. If you're a college student and you're worshiping at the Aardvark or you're a post-college person and you're in this room and you're worshiping and converge on Sunday morning and, and making much of Jesus and Wednesday night we gather so that we can be challenged to be sent back out. I love that. But man, we, we need community. We need to not isolate ourselves. We need to get in home groups. We need to walk well and be known. But man, we need to be in our culture, man. Get hobbies. Create art. Start companies. Do big, bold things. If you're a college student, rush, right? Get in a fraternity, get in a sorority. And and if that's a stumbling block or it's crazy expensive to have that many friends, like, I get it, right? (laughs) I get it. You, you You be discerning in what you can handle and what you can't in college. But man, would we engage in our culture, man? Would we spend time with the culture around us? And why, man, why do we do that? Let me end with this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, this is what he says. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. Do you see how culturally savvy Paul is? To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And verse 23 in chapter 9 of First Corinthians says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing." We have a Savior that no matter where what you have done and where you have gone in your life, says, I will step into your culture, speaks your language, loves you where you are at. No amount of shame, no amount of guilt, no amount of brokenness is bigger than what our God has said, I will step into that and I will bring healing to that. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died, rose again. And for those who say that good news is what I need and the only thing I need, and I submit my life to Christ, we get that. We get that healing. We get that completion. We get that whole again. Now would we live our lives in a way that says, man, would we win some to that for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for how you love us, Lord. Thank you just for your gospel, Lord. Would we do this well Uh, Would we do this well? Would we remember how you love us tonight? Uh, And would you just continue to shape us into followers of you who can engage the world around us? God, we see how Jesus did it. He masterfully did it. He spoke the language. He spent the time, Lord. He knew his culture. Would we... Know our culture. Would we love you enough, Father, to care about the culture and the lives around us, Lord, that don't know you? Would we be ambassadors for you as you've called us to be? All for your glory so that some might know you and we might share in that blessing of getting to worship alongside them for eternity, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us discernment. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Man, what a good message from Ben reminding us that we don't strive to be culturally relevant as Christians just so that we can fit in, but in order that we might join Jesus in redefining culture. I know it's tough sometimes for me personally because I just want to hang out and be a part of the group and fit in, but Jesus calls us to so much more. And so if you want to take a step in joining Jesus to redefine culture and you want to know what that looks like, and maybe you just don't know where to start out, We are so glad you listened, and we're so glad you're joining us. Reach out to us at RenovateFTW.org or on social media at RenovateFTW. And we would love to walk with you, talk with you through those steps, and show you maybe what are some practical ways to really start redefining culture like our Savior did and joining in this mission of helping shape this world to look more like He wills it. We hope that He blesses you this week as you live that out.